You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another week of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halbus. My name is Dewey, your host with the most, bringing great content every week to the podcast and radio world. So this week, we have a huge guest with us, a very prolific man, uh, been in every band imaginable, uh, been through some pretty huge music scenes and movements, uh, pretty much uh, taking the bass as far as anyone can take it. Uh, I'm, ta- I'm, of course, talking about Mr. Mike Watt from the Minutemen, from the Stooges, Big Walnuts Yonder. Uh, he's got a solo career. Uh, Mike has done everything. So really glad to have him on the show today. Uh, we had a great conversation. Uh, went a lot of places. Uh, definitely uh, went everywhere <laughs> with this conversation. Uh, we talked a lot about Big Walnuts Yonder, his new band with Nick from Terramelos, uh, who's also been on Peer Pleasure. Uh, and Nails Klein from Wilco. Um, he's also played with the members of Nirvana. Um, I mean, he's played with everyone. Uh, Mike Watts touched a lot of people, um, including my friend Kevin, who got me into the Minutemen, uh, listening to the cassette in his van, um, you know, asking him, who who is this? And he's like, it's the Minutemen. And I'd never heard him before, before of course. So um, definitely, uh, definitely a life-changing moment. Um, discovering them and then discovering, you know, that whole SST era of punk rock, um, which was a whole bag of worms that I opened up and, and, uh, changed a lot of the way I view music, um, and life in general. Uh, it was a big, big step for me, um, getting into that style. So talking to Mike Watt was really a pleasure. Um, he's a really funny guy, uh, goes a lot of places when he's talking and, and, uh, it was really cool. I emailed him. Uh, my friend Portia Sabin gave me his email address from Kill Rock Stars, who you've heard on the show as well, um, and said, hey, I don't know if this email address works still, but uh, give it a shot. And I was like, fuck, man, I'll give it a shot. So I emailed Mike, and not I don't even think it was a day later, got an email back that said, hey, man, thanks for thinking of me. Sounds great. Let's do it. And he signs his emails on base. What? And I thought that was so killer. Uh, 
and just hilarious. I mean, just uh, just straightforward, and that's exactly how he is. Just straightforward, true, uh, you know. And and every email I get sent on base, Watt, and I love it. And uh, he's also got a podcast called Watt from Pedro Show, um, for as he is from San Pedro. And uh, yeah, definitely check out that show. Uh, but as far as our show goes, uh, PeerPleasurePodcast.com is the website. We are on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely follow us on there. Um, and definitely rate and subscribe to the show uh, if you like the show. Uh, those ratings really help us out for a lot of reasons. Um, but love to see those comments. We've gotten some great reviews so far, and that really means a lot. We put a lot of work into the show. Um, my producer Joe and I, and uh, then Bob from the Bob and Katie Show, who does our show notes, uh, getting a nice little staff going here. So um, we also have some great people, local people, Gilgamesh Brewing, that helps the show out. Um, and uh, yeah, we're having a really great time working with them. So uh, definitely check us out on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Adobe Radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. And every week there's a new show. Uh, show notes are on the website. If you want to get more information on anything we talk about during the show, uh, you can absolutely hear that uh, and, and look that up on the show notes. Um, so without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Mr. Mike Watt from everywhere. in the charger oh no problem my man okay, yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? yeah i'm ready Let's man all right well welcome to the peer pleasure podcast mike i'm here with mike watt from uh pretty much every band ever <laughs> uh the minutemen and the stooges and Firehose, and now uh big walnuts yonder with uh my buddy nick uh from terra Melos. right uh, also second man missing man my oldest band dose Yes. The, yeah. Okay. And, and uh, uh, European. I'm in a European band called El Sonio de Mayanayo. Man, you are just a prolific, prolific man. Prolific. <laughs> yeah. I just got done with a missing man tour in the Northwest, or, or just West Coast. There was California too. Okay. And uh, Toys to Kill, San Pedro band, friends of ours, finally got to do a bunch of gigs, play. Blue Oyster Cold and Stooges with them. Oh, that's amazing! And then uh, you're doing you're doing a podcast still, right? A radio show? Tuesday. Oh, as far as uh, that, yeah, I got a tour coming Tuesday though. First time in China with the Miss of it. I've had the Watt for Pedro show twfps.com for in May. It'll be 16 years. Okay, brother Matt. Yeah. Usually do one a week. They all archived uh, almost 500 shows. That's incredible. Uh, well, it's kind of me uh, giving back. I, pl I don't play any merch stuff. It's usually stuff people give me at gigs or 
said to me, uh-huh. uh, I do start every show off with some John Coltrane, but after that, uh, I play stuff that, um, I don't know, that lets the freak flag fly, you know? Yeah. I've given that opportunity, you know, so I feel like it's given back to the scene a little bit. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. I mean, you've inspired a lot of people, including myself. I mean, the first time I heard your work was in a van with uh, an old band manager uh, of ours um, had uh, Double Nickels on the Dime on cassette playing in the van. I was like, dude, who is this? And he's like, it's the Minutemen. You've never heard the Minutemen? I was like, no. And uh, ever since then, I mean, that kind of opened my eyes, that whole that whole scene, the whole SST scene and everything else. Like, that was before I heard Black Flag. That was before, you know, any of that stuff. So that was, you know, really kind of a turning point for me and getting into some different music uh, was that that record. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, giving back, I mean, you've given a ton to, to the scene as it is. But uh, uh, that record, I thought that's probably the best record I played on. Minutemen was kind of at a peak. Yeah, I think we were coming back around for another go, though. Uh, we were going to make a triple record, half of it live, half of it studio. And I think uh, after a Project Merch three way tie, we were getting another wind up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the way I felt. Man. So, also, those days, uh, it was it was starting to change about about them, but before that, U.S. punk, you know, it was a small scene. Yeah. So I don't blame people for not knowing. Uh, really, was it till REM to even get into colleges and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, around the middle '80s. Um, but you know, it. One thing about going back to my radio show, I have a lot of guests on. Mm-hmm. The main reason is because I want to hear about their journey through music because everybody has kind of a different one, you know? Yeah. And nobody really picks where they start from. And so almost no two journeys are the same. Yeah. And uh, like you being in that van with that guy playing that music at that time, I mean, there's so much coincidence and circumstance, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So, but then when, yeah, things are made, made aware to you and then you have a choice... That's more of a real choice. If you don't know about these things, how can you say you really have a choice? Because you you know you don't know how, how to choose them. You don't know they're they're there. Exactly. Uh, for example, before the movement, uh, us with Arena Rock. You know, you there? Yeah, I got you back. We're good. Okay. Like I didn't was aware the Stooges were in Hollywood in the early seventies, while we were seeing the Blue Oyster Cult at the Long Beach Arena. Mm-hmm. Just didn't know. Yeah. You know, if you're not made aware. So that's where, in the old days, people were important, but these days, too. Someone's got to kind of hip you to it. Now, we do have internet. We're, we're more connected now. So, but still, somebody's got to hip you. If you don't know, you don't know. And uh, sometimes, uh, yeah, somebody once said, the only thing new is you finding out about it. Sometimes you discover that, yeah, this stuff was always there. I don't know. It's just a, a level of perception, and then what you do with it, you know. Uh, when you do know or you're aware of things, then how are you going to act on that? Are you going to be passive? Or are you going to be active? You know, mm-hmm. are you going to go for it? 
And a lot of times, like in my case, is because out of friendship, started off as boys, you know, and uh, playing, being together that way. And then just being lucky to be in the right place at the right time. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I, I do work hard at this stuff and keep pushing and stuff. But in some ways, when I look back, a lot of lucky things. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. I mean, there's the first time. Good. The first Lucky time. Always good. Uh, luck is always uh, also bad. Mm-hmm. There's bad luck, and I've had some of that too. Sure. But I think everybody does. You know, you get what's what's the uh, the metaphor? The, like you're getting dealt a hand of uh, playing cards. You know, and yeah. You have to play that hand. Yep. Play the hand that you're dealt. But again, you have to know, you know, about the cards, about the dealer and stuff so that's why uh yeah people talking about stuff me doing the spiel here having a radio show doing gigs yeah it's kind of people connected with people sure absolutely at the the end of the day well what was your i mean what was your journey into music as far as i mean i know you you met d boone early on yeah you guys just decided you wanted to play music so you grab some instruments and go from well no not not exactly uh Okay, before I knew D. Boone, you know, I I knew about music uh, through AM radio more. Mm-hmm. But AM radio, uh, yeah, played uh, maybe not so much album stuff, but singles. I remember the first 45 I bought was American Woman. Okay. When I met D. Boone, the only rock band he heard of was Creedence. And, uh, you know, of course, Creedence was on the radio a lot, especially... You know, all that stuff they did was 68 to 73, six albums. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was very aware of it, but it was his mother who wanted us to be in a band. Now, she played guitar when she was a girl. So she already had Dee Boone starting to learn guitar. And then she said, uh, you know, bands have a bass, so you're going to be the bass player. And I didn't really know what a bass was. Uh, I thought in the pictures they looked like guitars, you know. Uh, Forster. Music stores wasn't... Uh, the same as like they are now. It's a, not not as accessible, especially uh, rock music and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, yeah, a lot of fumbling around in the dark. Uh, I couldn't hear what the bass was doing on those Creedence records. You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be the bass player, but I can't tell what's going on. And, you know, bassist, I didn't really realize bass meant lower. Yeah, you know... We didn't have older brothers and stuff. There was this one guy, Roy Mendes Lopez. He showed us a lot of stuff. He was more into flamenco and classical. Mm-hmm. That's where D. Boone gets that uh, influence from, like on uh, Double Nickels on the Dime. He's got that solo song on there called uh, Cohesion mm-hmm. on his side. He's playing nylon string Spanish style guitar. And that's where this guy, Roy Mendes Lopez, this guy, uh, he's way into practice. And uh, building his own instruments. He lived in his car for a while. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a guy, uh, he's from hippie days, but actually uh, practiced it. It wasn't just a kind of, a, I don't know, costume. He was really into, uh, you know, uh, kind of individualism, but also discipline towards uh, the thing with practice, you know. And we got into that, the practice. Part of that was just hanging out. Right? That's how you're with the guy. Mm-hmm. And just and we didn't really have a culture of songwriting. That's one bad thing about those days. 
uh, people we knew uh, copied records. And so, yeah, we copied records and uh, songs are tried to, mm-hmm. you know. Didn't it, the, you know, all the gigs are at these big pads, so had no idea of playing little pads. That doesn't come until we graduated high school in 76, right around the time of the movement. So, yeah, we were kind of lucky that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, being only 30 miles from Hollywood, we, we could see these gigs uh, in much different than Arena Rock. First gig we went to was together was T-Rex. Okay. The Long Beach Auditorium. It's stored down now. Mm-hmm. The first uh, punk gig we saw was the bags, the whiskey, the go-go. And, uh, yeah, in a way, both gigs were really mind blows, but for different reasons. When when, when I, me and D. Boone saw bags, I, my mouth just opened up, and these words, we can do this, just came out. You know, I wasn't even thinking. It was just totally empowered. When we saw Mark Bolin in T-Rex, it was like, wow, this dude's a trip. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it wasn't like the bags were a trip either. They were a total trip, but it was something more like, hey, come on. And it wasn't like that with the big rock so much. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were different ages. I don't know. For one thing, close was big difference. I mean, you know. You could see the bass had big strings. It wasn't a guitar with four strings. Yeah, it was. It had big strings, and they, that's why it was lowered. So anyway, getting back to Creedence, I didn't know what to play on that stuff, and so I was looking at the album covers, and I thought, well, if I wear the singer's shirts, maybe D. Boone will still like me. <laughs> we never had an idea of music as something to do. You know, for a living, uh, it was the way to be with your friend. You know, mm-hmm. and then getting carried away with the movement, and then. The th- main thing they taught us was y- music can also be for expression. See, that's something we were missing. Before, it's something we did to be with each other. Mm-hmm. And we're like kind of copying songs, kind of like building models. You know, kind of looks like the real thing. Not really. Uh, not not going to do any gigs. Uh, you don't have feelings inside you're trying to get out. It's just... You're kind of doing this thing with your buddy. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> it's it, it's it's kind of directionless. Then when the movement comes and we see these cats, you could tell that they wrote the the song. Sometimes they copy a song, but if they did, they usually twisted it up their way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about trying to sound like the real thing. It was, uh, you know, interpreted. And then with their own original music, with their own words, you could tell that these guys had a something on their mind and they wanted to let you know about it <laughs> yeah and that's a whole different way of music i mean we didn't even know what words were for in songs and stuff blue oyster called t-rex and even creams you know the big wheel keeps on turn i didn't realize that was just a fucking paddle boat mm-hmm. you know he's on a paddle boat pumped a lot of pain you know i thought he was hurting i didn't know it was short for propane I mean, a lot of this shit <laughs> just blew over my mind. You know, in some songs, they did use metaphors. Uh, I think it was Blood, Sweat, and Tear it had something about a spinning wheel, uh-huh. riding a painted pony, and somewhere like that. But somewhere, yeah, like Creedence, really literal. Or or they're transcendent, pretending, you know, like Born on Bayou. He was El Cerrito, I think, very Northwest Bayou. <laughs> mm-hmm. But... Uh, I think all this stuff came into play 
once we made the breakthrough about trying to write our own songs and make find our own voice, then all of a sudden all them influences they weren't so embarrassing anymore. They were just part of where we were from. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, started to do Blue Oyster Cult in front of people. In fact, last night did uh, the Red and the Black for the Toys to Kill guys. I've been playing that since I started uh, doing it with D. Boone when we were 13. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're talking 46 years. Yeah. Uh, copying the same Blue Oyster and found out, you know, got to meet the guys. It was actually about running from the draft. It had several different forms, even different titles. The first title was I'm Peeping Through Your Files. I got to be good friends with the Bouchard brothers, Albert and Joe, the bass and drummer. Mm-hmm. But then even, you know, there's only two guys left from the real band, Eric Bloom and uh, Buck Darby. Uh, yeah, two years ago, back January, so 26 months ago, at a, some Art Deco old-timey theater Beverly Hills, they had me come up, and I got to play that song with them. That's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. So, see how life is? Yeah. But it isn't all about, uh, you know, covering the song about running from the... Yeah, the red and the black is that Canadian-mounted uh, royal police mm-hmm. uh, uniforms. That's the red and the black. It's the Mounties. Yeah. Yeah, and uh second title was... uh I'm on the lamb, but I ain't no sheep. It was on the first album. But, I mean, all this stuff, it comes together to make a music life. But, uh, yeah, sometimes profound things have to happen to you. Yeah. You know, it seems. And then, you know, you feel a little dirty, a little tainted, because you did learn that other way. But, you know, of course, you could have done nothing about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's why we really looked up to the urinals. This band uh, from the west side of the uh, they, nobody knew how to play anything, and they just started a band. And uh, last night I did one of their songs, "Surfer with the Shah," and it was uh, so Deep Boone, especially this idea that anybody could make a band. Mm-hmm. That was that was really significant about the movement. I think nowadays people. Is accepted as yeah. What's weird about that? But it was kind of weirder in the old days. It was seems like a music was for special people, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one thing. The another reason for the re- radio show, you know, you break it down to the people, let them decide. Don't let it be decided ahead of time who's, you know, who's on coming down from Mount Olympus to deliver the good time and who ain't. Mm-hmm. You know, you just go out there and try. Lots of people I talk to now, even if, you know, it's not their life thing, they did a couple of years of it. It's almost like, hey, did you learn how to talk? Did you learn how to write? <laughs> it doesn't mean you're going to be the best talker, the best writer, but it's a form of connecting, right? Yeah. And I think this is how it got what the movement did. See, I don't really think it was a style, you know? It was more of a, I don't know, a kind of philosophy or it's a state of mind. The style was up to the guys doing it with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. The idea that music could be like talking or writing or painting or, you know, whatever whatever humans do to express themselves, why can't it be out there as an option for everybody to use, you know, for as long as they want to, for as deep as they want to? Some of these dudes, you could tell early going to the gigs, they were kind of anti-rock and roll. They are artist people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to meet these cats, you know, for example, Raymond Pettibone, 
and him teaching me about John Coltrane or about Dada, a surrealist, fut futurist, uh, going to see uh, Mr. Ray Brown, you know, mm -hmm. Elvin Jones, Cecil McBee, Lionel Hibbler, Tal Farlow, little Jimmy Scott. He, he was soon at me. Incredible uh, stuff I would have never learned just being in Pedro. Yeah. But notice I'm still in Pedro. What, what I do is I sally forth, just like those first Hollywood gigs, you know? Mm -hmm. Made the big hell ride, you know, to find out what's up outside. And then the bungee cord snaps you back. There's that kind of dynamic. I learned to appreciate Pedro. I'm not really from here. I came here when I was nine from Virginia, but uh, I liked it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, almost 40 years of touring and stuff. I still like coming back over here. But I still like Sally Forth and learning about other stuff. And it reminds me of those those first gigs in Hollywood meeting people with the funny clothes and the funny names. It'd be the same cats every week, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, our scene was pretty small. USC, I told you, but probably uh, SoCal even more. I mm -hmm. think New York City, San Francisco bigger, yeah. And also we're spread out. Inland Empire Valley, you know, South Bay, West Side, Orange County, it's just... It's 150 towns, <laughs> you know, yeah. fly over. It looks like one, but people, and that was a weird kind of thing about getting to do 125 months with the Stooges, because that was kind of the one thing we had in common of those days. You could say Stooges and they knew. Also Stooges was a band, especially 70s punk uh, for 70s, like earlier 70s rock and roll. Most people did not like it. Yeah. It was kind of a... Yeah, I don't know why. Because some of those bands that were huge that nobody even talks about now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but everybody <laughs> talks about Stooges. Sure. You know, there's no there's no great, uh, huge, uh, Grand Funk Railroad, you know. And those guys were huge in their day. Yeah, they people were. hated they the Stooges. It's, it's weird how things do work out and how they don't work out. Yeah, that's um, very true. I think you got to be dynamic... Okay, here's the one danger about not getting killed and surviving or whatever, Vettorano, is you think you know, you've seen it all, you know it all, and nobody can teach you anything. And that's a terrible place to be. Yeah. So that's one thing I try to uh, keep from, a big lesson from, I try to express in the third opera was life is for learning, you know. And there isn't really graduation day. <laughs> Absolutely. You're always in the classroom. You're always, yeah. And that's what keeps it kind of from being old hat or just being, I love Lucy reruns. You know, it's a, your body changes. Okay, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, but yeah. then, uh, yeah, it starts getting weaker. Yep. But then also at that same time, your mind takes in more experiences. So that gets stronger. So there's a weakening and a strengthening as the time goes on. Uh, there's new people coming on board, you know, the next shift. Uh, there's people from the last shift that we're losing. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, just a great bass man, uh, John Wetton. Wow. 
especially I didn't didn't really you know because he kind of played in prog bands, especially Asia stuff later. I didn't really. Sometimes you can take people for granted, man. This guy was incredible. You listen to the, some of that very aggressive bass, and uh, I know he's got b- blow dry hair and body shirts and shit, which was <laughs> trippy when I saw that. When I heard you could hear his bass, it was so aggressive and yeah. blitz, even with Roxy music, but with King Crimson and all that. Yeah. Great set of pipes. And then, yeah, you would see the man and would be like, whoa. But so what? <laughs> that's, that's the way life is. <laughs> you know, not everybody's a little Richard. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Mark Bolin or John Fogarty. Or it, <laughs> but man, and, and then here, now, now he passed away. The cancer went and got him right before a tour, right? A couple yeah. Days or something. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, wow. You know, so it just puts things a little in perspective. I mean, that's what I loved about Stooges and Ig. You know, Ig always worked a gig like it was the last one. Yeah. He never went halfway. D-Boom was like that. Real, what do you call that? Ethics, huh? Yeah. Just yeah, like just true. I mean, there's like it's like hey, either of them have no other way of doing it. Like hey, they don't Hank know Rol- uh, Yeah, Hank Rollins. Uh, yeah. Ian McKay. Yep. Uh, Bob Mole. You know, these guys are hard chargers. Yeah, Bob Pollard. Bob Pollard just made his hundred album. That's insane. I said only a hundred more, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He had his uh, some what's it called? Magnet. They asked me to ask him questions, and basically it was questions I asked for the radio show, like what's your oldest uh, musical memory? You know, when, when did you get your first record? Who'd you play with? Mm-hmm. I think that because it's it's trippy. No one has the same story, but you know. <laughs> Dude, if you look at your thumb, we're all different. I was doing this interview with Mark Riley in England. Uh, he was in the fall. Uh, Manchester guy. He said, he called Taft Falco a one-off. But I was thinking, man, we're all one-offs. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's an England term, like, like right, they break the mold yeah. or something. But look, at, but look at your thumb, you know. At the same time, we got so much in common being human beings. Uh, it's trippy, that duality. Not to get all binary and shit, but there's those two kinds of things, the, the individual, and like we use the arts expression to try to prove to each other that we are different. Uh-huh. You know, we're not just a bunch of sheep, it's not a big herd, but at the same time, by doing that, we also are telling each other, wow, we really have a lot in common, there's not really a lot to be fighting over. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> So the, the, yeah, this is why I embrace arts uh, kind of big time. You know, D. Boone, not formal training, mm-hmm. but he was a painter. He got his name D. Boone from E. Blue, Eric Bloom and Blue Co. because uh, he played stun guitar. Like, we, we couldn't find another dude on an album cover that played stun guitar. Mm-hmm. These other guys were playing rhythm guitar and lead guitar, but Eric Bloom played stun guitar. So... Uh, yeah, B. Dharma, E. Bloom, D. Boot. He starts citing his paintings that way. And then, yeah, it became kind of a stage name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I guess my name, too, Watt. They, they sounded like fake names. <laughs> so we already had our punk name. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny, funny about that. Uh, uh, 
uh, in May, I got a tour with some old friends, the Meat Puppets. Uh-huh, yep. They asked me to do some Midwest and East Coast. Uh, that's the same time that the Big Walnuts Yonder Records is coming out. Uh-huh. And, you know, your buddy Nick Reinhardt, he's uh, about 99.9% responsible for that record. Really? Yeah, because yeah, uh, we were playing together, and uh, actually it was the Light Brothers, you know those cats in Tokyo that serve friends. Uh huh. Well, you know, common friends. Yeah. They were the, uh, they were buddies with those guys. Brought them over to Japan. Mm hmm. And uh, anyway, this might have been even in Ireland, but we were talking about uh, Prodges, and he liked this first opera I did called Caught to Plate in the Engine Room. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to know about that guitar man. And I thought the best way to know about Nels Klein is to play with him. Because mm-hmm. Nels is very given an open cat. And so I said, yeah, play with him. Yeah, I bet you'd be into it. And I, I, I asked Nels, and Nels says, okay, pick a drummer. So I said, okay, Nick, you pick a drummer. And he picked this guy, Greg Sarner from a Deerhoof, which by coincidence, I first saw through Nels. Nels brought me to a gig. (laughs) Okay. It was all connected. Yeah. So I wrote eight songs. Nels wrote a song, and Greg wrote a song. Mm -hmm. Now, I showed my eight songs to Nick ahead of time. He wanted to hear them before we went to New York. I I said, I got a friend from Perubu. He's got a studio, Tony. Mm -hmm. And I just done my third, uh, Tony Mamoni. I just done my third opera with him, Hyphenated Band. Said let's let's do it with Tony because he's bitching people. Mm-hmm. So before we even go there, I float him my eight songs. Now I ju- I just wrote it on the bass, so he started writing parts. I mm-hmm. thought he was going to wait. A lot a lot of projects I do with Nels Klein, you don't have to prac with him. Mm-hmm. You just bring the songs, and you want that first take feel, <laughs> you're going to get it from him. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of improvisation in the seventies. He was in Charlie Hayden's Liberation Orchestra. First time I saw him, he was playing nylon string Spanish guitar for Charlie Hayden's mm-hmm. band there, and I asked him to open up. And from then on, I did all kinds of projects with Nelson. He's a guy you don't have to, you know what I mean? Uh, paint by numbers. You don't have to connect the dots. You just get a springboard, get a launch pad going for him. <laughs> and so, that, so he loves songs written on the bass. Yeah. And yeah. what, what Nick Reinhardt did was he took my songs and he prepped. He went and wrote guitar parts. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of different. I thought we were all just going to form meet, you know? Yeah. I know Greg was going to. For one thing, those guys are very busy. Mm-hmm. You know, so is Nick with his Terra guys. In fact, Terra Melos has a lot of influence on, on Nick Reinhardt. He brought it to the Big Walnuts Yonder. Because after we get done with the three days, now I had to learn Nels and uh, Greg's songs right in the moment. So did uh, Nick. But Nick gets this idea. He goes, look, I, w- I think we should have singing on this. Except Nels. Nels is too big to have singing. Uh-huh. But why, I want you to sing on two of these. In fact, these I called them by letters, right? Two R, two S, uh-huh. two T, two U, U, V, you know, whatever. I just, they were just things to give them names so it's that's just not song yeah yeah okay different song mm-hmm. but they they had no titles no which is trippy for me because i like to use titles but i want to keep it open-ended to see these kind of projects they they, they become 
you can conceptualize them only so much. There comes a point where they got they are by what they do. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know what I mean? You can't set it up too much. You, you kind of not prop it with too much uh, constraint, but then you let it blossom, see what it is going to become. Yeah. So Nick Nick fudged a little, I guess, by coming up with uh, guitar parts to my songs, but maybe not. You know, maybe that's part of the process. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That, those guys, they brought their thing. And then there's this big after, uh, maybe a year, of where it's just instrumental. And Nick Reinhardt is, is thinking of singing. He's putting words to it. I, I write two uh, lyrics and, uh, yeah, come up with a spiel for the two he wanted me to do. Uh-huh. Uh, one, one of them was about actually doing it in the studio. And the other one was about kind of current events like D Boone D Boone would call lyrics thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of, one of mine was like that, but then the, the, the Nick Reinhardt ones, they got all kinds of harmonies. Uh, th- they're very involved. Uh, they, in fact, I was saying before, Tara Melos is a big part of his music life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know exactly how it, the band's made up. It seems like, well, they've had many drummers. Although John, they've had a long time now. Yep, yep. But it seems like it's always been the Nick and Nate show, right? That's very true. That's absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Although, although they told me, and this is before I knew them, there was a fourth dude. There was another guitar dude. Yes, there was. Mm-hmm. So, but point being, what makes it relevant to this? Big Walnuts Yonder was starting to sound a lot like Terramelos, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it was Greg or Nels or myself. Uh, and here, you know, this project set up like to play with Nels Klein, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's how strong Nick Reinhardt has a strong music personality and, and Tara Melos has a strong music personality. I'd be interested. What's going on guys. This is Dewey from Peer pleasure. And I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, Uh, You want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, 
That is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hey, guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of, of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. To ask Nate about that, mm -hmm. about because it, it has a strong voice that band. Yeah, it does. Him, him. And and John, you know, actually John's always been in the band since I know him. But I, they gave me recordings of stuff of, of other guys. Yeah, Vince. Vince was the drummer before. I think he plays for Marnie Stern now. Um, but he okay. he was the drummer before. Yeah. 
probably their name neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think what Nate stays up there and Nick is a SoCal guy now. I believe so. I think Nick's in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. For a while he was in see me, mm-hmm. but I think he's actually in the town now. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, so, uh, I didn't tell Nick to change anything, but I, we, we were very lucky to end up getting Greg, the drummer man, to mix it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's a, not, not not to say drummer men are, and they're the most righteous musicians in the world, but he's uh, also, besides a drummer man, he's also a, a composer guy, music guy. Okay. And, uh, yeah, amazing man. Uh, I think went to Oberlin. I mean, he's trained in shit, you mm-hmm. know. Even not to say that means hill a lot of shit, but uh, he's a guy who there's some cats they use knowledge to uh, just like a, a way of a guy uses uh you know uh, being outside. Mm-hmm. They, it's just how you wield it. And I have a lot a lot of respect for Greg, and so he ends up mixing it. And so uh, yeah, of course he had his own vision. And I thought, uh, I don't know, in a way, it was his own vision, but he spoke for the band. And the band had lots of uh, input. It wasn't some Yavol kind of trip, you know. Mm -hmm. He uh, went back and forth and uh, maybe three or four rounds of mixes. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm really glad we did this project. It's going to come out at the same time as this, this tour I've had playing with the Meat Puppets. Okay. So I can't really do any gigs right around when it comes out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if the other three guys could. That's a problem with that project. The people are busy at other projects. Yeah. But that's the wonderful thing about a recording. You can, you know, get a moment. Even if that moment spread over a year <laughs> in the making. Uh we were all, I think, surprised how it came out. I thought it was going to be an instrumental record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mainly like a big dually between uh, Nick and uh, Nels Klein, you know. But the way Nels is, of course, it wouldn't be a dually. He would uh, he'd bring him in, set him up. It's really, really, really beautiful the way uh, Nels played guitar with uh, Nick. Mm-hmm. And the way Nick, Nick really stepped up, you know, as the younger man. Sure, and uh, but you know, not arrogant, and but not shy boy either. Yeah, it was, it was really yeah, because it was he was the one who got the wheel rolling. You know, mm-hmm. I helped make things happen, but it was him, right? You know, he's the spark. Yeah, I like I like honest uh, feel. You know, and it seemed like he really wanted to know Nels. He really wanted to play with, and to me, that means you know, from with musicians, yeah, he really wanted to play with them. Sure, and. uh I'm telling you, man. <coughs> Nels Klein going to play with you. You're not going to have some motherfucker using uh, John Coltrane's uh, giant steps to like get cut on. You know, he's not going to do like that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to see where you're coming from and uh, explore possibilities. And uh, whenever you get more than one guy playing, right, you're trying to make a conversation. And Nels Klein is just so good at that. Yeah. And uh, I know Nick Reinhardt told me it was different for him. I don't think Nate 
brings uh, bass uh, written songs to Terra Melo so much. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Nate adds after. Also, Nate is a pedal guy like Nick Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I tried pedals with the second opera. It was just too hard for me. So I'm a little more thug that way. <laughs> yeah, just straight straight bass and amp. More of a bass. <laughs> Not saying that's better or anything, you mm-hmm. know. It's just, I tried it. Maybe I need more practice. This company is going to send me a couple pedals. One's a, a fuzz and one's a envelope filter. And I used two of those on on that second opera, but maybe for recording. But well, yeah, the yeah. Ian Ian McKay and I were simple. chatting about that. We were we were chatting about that a couple weeks back. Uh, Ian McKay and I about you know how Fugazi you know used no pedals; it was just straight guitar and amp, and they and he made it that way like that. He, it was a conscious effort to to play that way and give him that give himself that limitation. But I think in your case, it's more just weeding well, out I tried things it. Don't, yeah i tried it once you know because to talk about it without trying is kind of being an idiot but <laughs> uh in the older days it was about keeping things simple yep because uh, Minutemen didn't do we didn't even use tuners i mean jesus and no fucking money i mean yeah that <laughs> <laughs> that too. Now, uh, like double nickels on some of them recorded solos, D Boone used one of them green boxes. Okay. Uh, what's it called? The Big Muffs. No, it's green. Uh, oh, uh, Tube Screamer. That's it. Yeah. He used one of those on on some those uh, leads with the big sustain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what that but, pedal does. <laughs> but but not not really uh, at gigs and st- it was just more stuff to. Go wrong or get in the way, or you already, like you say, cost too much. Yeah, in the yeah. first place, and uh, so, so I think getting back to the point is about Nick Reinhardt's songwriting. He never uh, approached something with giving the bass first. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I could do that for him. Yeah, because it's it's kind of neat giving people uh, experiences they ain't used to. Sure. You know, it goes back to what uh, we were talking about earlier, being the one to put it out there and what you do with it is what you do with it. You can either run with it or, or run away from it. Yeah. It's yeah. The same thing. Or, or also uh, playing roles. You know, if yeah. you're always the boss, you, there's some stuff you're never going to learn. Exactly. That's you know? very so, true. So, yeah. I, and in fact, I've kind of found out there's the way I've done music. There's three kind of basic ways. Of course, the way I started with D. Boone, collaboration, you know? Mm-hmm. You write something, he writes something. I, I kind of do that with the Italian guys, with Sonio de Mainaio. Mm-hmm. I only write a third of that stuff. Both those guys, uh, Stefano and Andrea, they're uh, composers. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's why my name's not in the band. Other times, I write all the stuff, like, for example, my operas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, second Man with... Uh, Second Man's Middle Stand, and uh, Hyphenated Man with uh, The Missing Man. I, where I wrote the whole thing and asked them to play it. I used my name in the band. And then there's situations like Stooges, or Porno for Pyro, or J. Mascus in the, and the Fog, fog where, mm-hmm. where I take the direction. So it's like, give it a direction, take a direction, or collaboration. Seems those are the three basic ways. Dose is kind of collaborate, kind of it is collaboration, man. I would say that this uh, big walnuts yonder was collaboration. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, even though I I brought eight of the tunes in, man, they got changed a bunch by the dudes. Sure, you brought a foundation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which do you well, prefer you know, of those three ways? What you what? know, it's funny. It's it's well, I think it's healthy to take all turns at all three. Because okay. then you don't get stuck in a rut. You know, there's this thing called sad manitis. People feel very frustrated. They don't get any of their own. I think that's why the Beatles broke up. They only let George Harrison have one song. Yeah. An album or something. Sure. I think. But then again, like, if you're always getting your way, you're going to miss out a lot of shit, too. And then uh, if you don't collaborate, you don't learn how to be dynamic in a uh, negotiating mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all part of human qualities, too. You know, they're not really analogs for, like, perfect political state. You know, people look at bands and music as strange things, you know, or or just the arts, you know. Mm -hmm. When you get to tell everyone what to do, that's supposed to be success. I think success is when you come up with a good work. Sure. There's many different ways to do that. Sometimes they're total collaborations. Sometimes they're total, you know, top down. Sometimes they're total down up. It's a lot of times it's mixed up. Yeah. And things are changing by the moment. Yeah, yeah. See, uh, humans, they like things static so they can put labels. Maybe it's easier to understand. But just because something's difficult to to understand doesn't mean that it's happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's very true. I I think you're really big on balance. I think that's really... uh... A good thing. Well, where part of that's ba- part of its base, the instrument itself. Yeah, it's like equalizer. Think about yeah. it, Dewey. Even even if it's your fucking band, mm-hmm. you're still backing your own guys up. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because where we we sit in the frequency where we are in the in the band, we're kind of like the glue. And unless you're you're trying to be a fake guitar or a fake piano, mm-hmm. if you're really bass, you're glue. Yeah. And what's exactly. glue with nothing to stick to? That's a, a great puddle. point. That's it's a, a puddle, great point. Right? Yeah. Like a pile of grout? No. <laughs> grout makes sense when you get tile involved, right? Not most people when they go to the head and they're sitting there doing their business, they're looking at the tile. But in between that tile, there's the grout. Yep. And that's the way I look at it. Uh, politically, it's kind of interesting being a leader of a band in the base at times. Of course, the traditional role is being kind of maternal, mm-hmm. being Kind of whatever, big sister, big brother, just somebody who makes it okay. Yeah. Usually the last guy added on, but I th- I see more roles, and this was was bitching about uh, Nick Reinhardt, Nels Klein, Greg Sardia, letting a bass player come in with eight songs. Yeah. And then the bass player not telling them that he's got a vision at the end of the road, that this is all launch pad, this is all springboard, and see right there you start building a relationship of trust mm-hmm. where it's not going to be E minor blues jam. There's actually a beginning, a middle and ending. Watts written a little roadmap here, mm-hmm. but then this roadmap, it don't have all the harmonic information a piano or a guitar has. There's a lot of open room, especially with the guitar guys. They can chord voice, their chords and their melodies, all kinds of different ways. And when it comes to the drummy, Greg can syncopate, you know, it, the, the base, in a way, was the starting point mm-hmm. and kind of the roadmap to keep it from being, you know, blues jam and E minor or whatever, raga rock, acid jam. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of those is kind of neat, but a whole album of that, whoa. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, but still, these guys, and, and then even Nick Reinhardt saying, you know, I've never done it this way before. A guy like Nels Klein, oh, I've done a few of these with Watt. I know all about this. <laughs> but still, not, not, not turning on the autopilot, mm-hmm. engaging Nick Reinhardt 100% in the moment. But yeah, now Nick Reinhardt kind of weirded out, like, what the fuck? Why not write the song on kick drum? What's this just bass? But him going home and studying and writing parts, you know, to me, that's a pretty earnest young man. Yeah. You know? And then Greg, who, like I said, not just a drummer man, but an incredible drummer man, but also a big picture man. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at the, the music in terms of like, uh, yeah, pieces, right? It gets loud here. It gets soft here. Ah, soft can be louder than loud. Yeah. The, the dynamics, shit, this kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And all these, all of a sudden, we got an interesting conversation going. And so people questions. Oh, there's such a, a difference in your ages. Oh, you come from different musics. Oh, you, all that's that's silly stuff. Oh, you're wearing different pair of pants. Yeah, yeah, no shit. <laughs> Chonies too, you know. <laughs> you know, and then why not? That becomes the question to me. Yeah, why didn't these guys even do it earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not so freaky. It's not so out of the weirdness world. And uh, uh, you know you know about my traditions. And if you knew about Nels and Greg, too. And I think maybe, I know Nick Reinhardt's done some. He, t- he played me a record called Bygones, maybe with one of those. Uh, yeah, with Zach Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, from that two-man band. Yep, hella. That's right. Man. Yep. Actually, it was like five or six dudes at one point. Yeah, they turned in. They Jonathan, almost sounded like a broken Nintendo machine. Like I it think was crazy. Jonathan was in the band. <laughs> I just did an interview. Jonathan started a show with uh, for bassists. And I talked hardly about any bass. I talked all about putting together bands and projects. Because I think big players can do that these days. Yeah. And what I was getting to is this this, this uh, bygones. Uh, I think Nick Reinhardt's on, on the path of making interesting collaborations. Oh, yeah. I agree. And it's not, not just from this project, because he did that actually before we did this. Mm-hmm. But uh, I could tell by the way he engaged, and he brought no tude and just love and fucking earnestness that... You know, which in a way is tradition of John Coltrane and, you know, Bebop, Bird, Mingus, Diz, you know? Yep. yep. Fucking uh, Arthur Blakey. <laughs> <laughs> you get in the band, the classroom's band, of course. Yeah, the young guys are Morricano. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, the learning is in the no, the knowing's in the doing, the learning's in the, in the playing. Yeah. And, uh, I think in the older days, rock and roll especially was marketed as some kind of youth thing. Or I think that's kind of ridiculous now. Uh, think about a young man now. He has no problem listening to Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That's Come on, that band's over 40 years old. Yeah. In my days, you know, uh, I'm 13 in 1970. And I'm telling you. No one I knew was listening to music from the 30s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we weren't even listening to music from the 50s or early 60s. I remember that uh, Woodstock movie came out, you know, and Sean Arnold comes out. Uh-huh. 
Everybody, boo! You know, it's my dad's music. <laughs> you believe that shit? Yeah. Seventies people were the most narcissist. You know, it's funny how they call young people. Well, they start in the nineties. They start calling slackers and all this. Yeah. Man, there was no group of slackers than seventies people. <laughs> that was ridiculous. It's, we just don't have a lot of. Uh, yeah, we didn't have a lot of uh, video and uh, recordings, and but I was there. I could testify. Mm-hmm. We were we were super slacker, mucho slacker, man. It was, and very self-involved, and not very deep in other people's music or different eras. Yeah, I'm not saying everything's perfect now, but people are a little more, or even a lot, little more open-minded about stuff. And I'm talking about young people. They say, "Well, it's too easy to find information." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what's 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 the other side? Not any information. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I wonder what people think, you know. So, to me, in a strange way, the logical, you know, conclusion of the movement was somebody like Nick Reinhardt getting together with Nels Klein, Greg Sardinia, and myself. It, it, it really, to me, that is the spirit. It's not a style of music. It's this idea of letting the freak flag fly, doing something, you know, like, uh, here's complicated philosophy. Uh, why does a dog lick his balls? <laughs> I have no idea. Because <laughs> he can. Because he can. <laughs> yeah, see, it's an O word opportunity. It's not the B word burden. Yeah. It just takes and the that's opportunity. What I, think big, I think that's what Big Walnuts Yonders, you know, it kind of manifests that, that, that in that way, the old days ain't the old days. It's still the nowadays. Yeah. Because of that spirit. Sure. You know, yeah, Germ's armband, Dill's armband, looks kind of dated, kind of nostalgia for somebody like me. Uh-huh. But the spirit is just like getting in there and playing with Nick. Sure. Nels and Greg. That's, that's a hilarious philosophy. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like it's like Hank Rollins was talking about how you know got into punk rock and then you know got rid of all these arena rock records and then now yeah. he goes into a record store and's buying an Emerson Lake and Palmer record or something and they're like, hey, I know you and he's just like, just put it in the bag, just put it in the bag, <laughs> you know, because those bands are still good, but at the same time it like went completely one direction and then worked your way back. Um, I mean, it's happened to me doing books, for example, uh, on the road. Mr. Carrack and Jim jo- uh, Joyce with uh, Ulysses. I read these books in my 20s mm-hmm. and then read them again in my 40s. And completely different, but none of the words changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was me, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so same with Hank there with the, them records. It just, and, and, and you know, even John Wenton, he had, it took him passing away for me to really listen again and go, wow. You know, yeah. I think I think that's okay. We, you know, there's trippy things that we use for identity that seem pretty foolish. You know, uh, they actually fall under. Remember, we were talking about ethics, yeah, a mm-hmm. way of working a gig. This other thing called aesthetics, mm-hmm. which really can't be decided on by committee. They're too personal. Sure. And then the person might change your mind. <laughs> because life's a journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. trying to keep 
I mean, yeah, it gets complicated. There's layers of meaning, and sometimes people don't, they don't want to deal with that. But sorry. Absolutely. I mean, and, and so, I mean, you've done so much stuff. I mean, you've done so many things on your own. You've done so many things with, you know, huge, uh, you know, performers. I mean, you did that stuff with uh, uh, the tugboat stuff with with basically Nirvana without Kurt Cobain. Uh, you know, like you've done, you know, the Stooges with Iggy Pop. I mean, what is it like sharing the stage with someone like that? Where, where you know, it's someone maybe you were looking up well, to those earlier, are you know, like. Those are, di- those are different situations. One was Stooges music. I had to come there and uh, take direction. Dave Alexander, uh, Power Run Ashton, of course, mm-hmm. uh, worked, the, worked their bass lines for that band. Uh, for Ballager Tugboat, that was actually an experiment with the bass guitar. I thought the bass player knew the song. Anybody could come and play drums or guitar or sing. Mm-hmm. What would Chris do? Organ? Yeah, I wouldn't really say it was Nirvana because uh, yeah, I had some of the people, but they had a couple different drummers. They did. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Right, and they, they. I think they even had another guitar. And they, actually, Pat, for me, is Germs. Yeah, exactly. Which was huge of me and D Boone, you know, seeing Germs play, and then I get to play with this guy later down the road. Yeah. Uh, not taking anything. Guy, I really liked him and stuff. But that record was. In three different towns, I was in, well, of course, SoCal here, but then Seattle for a couple of days in New York City, and I just called up people, and they were around. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, come on down to the studio, and I'll show you this song, and you see what you want to play on it, and we'll record it. Sure. So I used a metaphor for a wrestling ring, and that's kind of what that was about. It was kind of like my little Petri dish, whereas with Stooges, I mean, I bring... What, what do I bring to both things in common? Well, yeah, play the bass like I mean it. Mm-hmm. I have respect for the people I'm playing, if, if that's what you're asking me. But in other ways, those two projects were much different. Yeah. Yeah, they were much different. So what's it like? Uh, well, scary. But Steve Hodges, the guy who played drums on my first opera, he said, you know, sometimes being a little bit scared is like being a little bit excited, so... Maybe not a total bad thing. Yeah. Well, it's like, like Ozzy Osbourne would say, where if you don't get nervous about something, it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. You know? Is that right? How he still gets nervous on stage, you know? Like, yeah, after this many years. You know, when he... I saw them, I remember seeing them, Black Sabbath, and the guy who stood in the middle was the guitar player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it was Ozzy's band. I think it was Tony Iommi. Yeah. And I, and I read Geezer Butler wrote the words. The bass man. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting because you think of the singer as, like, and probably the Ozzy band, yeah, forefront guy. But yeah. Black Sabbath was a little different. Yeah. I think that's why I kind of like Blue Oyster Cult too. No, no real main guy. Mm-hmm. But I liked uh, T Rex because they had a main guy, and I liked uh, Creedence because they had a main guy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Alice Cooper had a main guy. Uh, although I learned a lot from Dennis Dunaway. I mm-hmm. got to meet him. Really? Sweet guy. 
Yeah, he's playing with two of the Blue Oyster Cult guys, the uh, Bouchard brothers. Oh, okay. It's called Blue Blue Coop. Blue Coop. Okay. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> you can believe. <laughs> you can believe that. I think two of them live in Connecticut, and Albert Albert got a medal from the president last year for teaching music. Really? Went to the White House. Yeah, they wow. gave him some uh, a kind of a achievement thing. Thanks for teaching music, and uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, you know because Blue Oyster Cult kind of was a music teacher for me and D. Boone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, in those days, far-reaching implications. Cult. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and in fact, get this: this guy was at a gig last night. I, I played in Long Beach, and he saw Blue Oyster Cult about a month ago. They played uh, up in. Uh, so uh, maybe it was the same place I played with him two years ago, Beverly Hills at that Art Deco thing. And he, he said he went backstage and he t- talked to them. He saw the two original guys, Eric Bloom and Buck Dharma. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, the the Minutemen really were into you guys. <laughs> and both of them told him, we know, we know. <laughs> I think like a million people have told them about us. Yeah. You know? And uh, even on stage, when I got up there, Buck Dharma came up to me. He told me how he was going to go into D. No, first start me and then go to D. And then, I don't think uh, we played as fast as you, but that's when we go into the lick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his voice is much different than uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah. Kind of a Long Island uh, way of talking there. (laughs) I I was just amazed getting to play with this guy. And I would have never imagined, you know, 40 five years whatever it's really a trip yeah but there's still a lot to do so i got a lot of projects lined up i got this tour in china i've never been there before that's gonna be Um, awesome this meat puppets thing with the john and terry show in may Mm -hmm. i go to europe to do another tour with the sonia de mayanayo the the italian guys Mm -hmm. and uh we're working on a big nine and a half called uh the squardo means the focus glance. Okay. So talk about your uh, properties. Yeah. (laughs) Got 27 27 different parts that we put together. Oh, God. And and something of these days, uh, we recorded it, uh, a lot of it separate. Okay. You could do this. Yep, sending it over the internet. Like the way we're doing this interview. Yeah. See, the new days aren't all bad. Not at all. I don't think they're bad at all. I think it's well, just the way things are now. People, some people wring their hands and say it's all terrible. And yeah. there are some terrible things, bad things. But we can work on it. And there are some good things, too, that can make things econo mm-hmm. and connect us. Yep. It's just how we take it and run with it, or if we run from it. Yeah. You know, Like we said in the beginning, like that, that philosophy carries through. Good point, dude. Well, Mike, I, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do have one more question. Um, remember, I told you at the beginning, my yeah. friend Kevin is the, the in his van where I first heard the Minutemen. Um, I reached out to yeah. him because I knew I was going to be talking to you, and I was like, man, is there anything you want to ask Mike Watt? Because, I mean, that record pretty much shaped his teenage years. And he's, he was curious on, on history lesson number two, uh, citing Bob Dylan uh, as the narrator of our lives. Um you know, and, and name checking Bob Dylan like that. He wanted to know if that was D Boone's line or if that was your line. No, I, that's a Mike Watts though. Okay. He was curious because he said that meant a lot to him. So. Me, and, me and D Boone 
Well, it was too hard for me to play on the bass. I had D. Boone sing it. Of course, I didn't write me and Mike Watt. I wrote me and D. Boone, but yeah. he couldn't say me and D. Boone. Okay, so he changed some things. Okay. Because it was started. But I wrote, yeah, and I used, I wrote that on guitar. Very rare. I used guitar. Yeah. Uh, I got the music kind of idea from uh, Velvet Underground, if she ever comes now. It was right after a tour with Black Flag, the first time we went to Europe. Mm-hmm. Minute, minute. Black flag, and I was writing it about. There was some kind of beef between us and TSOL, the flip side magazine, the letter section or something, and not really between us and the band, but between Gigo listeners. Mm-hmm. What was punk and what was you know not punk? And I'm good friends with Jack. I mean, uh, I, I always like those guys. You know, uh, Ron and uh, Grisham, Mike. Jack Grisham. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Todd, when he was around too, he was a sweet guy. Mm-hmm. It's very sad what happened to him. But uh, I wrote that song at that time. Was I was trying to relate to in those days? Only a couple of years was a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Now it doesn't mean think fifty six, fifty three. Come on, it's a blink of an eye. Fifty five, fifty nine doesn't mean shit. But mm-hmm. in those days, it meant a lot. And so I was trying to relate me and D Boone playing together. It's just like you playing with your friend, maybe. Mm-hmm. You guys start in your band. Or I remember I was telling you I didn't really know what word was words was about. They were like kind of a lead guitar when we were boys. Sure. Boys and stuff. But Bob Dylan was a little different. He seemed like the fucking dude at Thanksgiving, the weird uncle just mumbling shit and you hear him go on on and on about something. Mm-hmm. But it was different than, uh, yeah, T-Rex or uh, <laughs> those kind of words. <laughs> so I think that's why I called him Mr. Narrator, because uh, I was just trying to say nobody comes out of a vacuum. And uh, something's kind of connected to something. And it, it could be uh, something silly. It could be something, uh, yeah, that other people think is profound. Whatever, it's something. Yeah, that's why it's called history lesson. It's actually called part two because D Boone wrote part one on the punchline. It's about uh, humans killing each other, mm-hmm. and, and I was I was trying to say yeah, but there's another part of humans too. You can be in a band with each other. Yeah, and you can uh, dream your other people. You know, be the, from that very northwest bayou. You can be Eric Bloom, you know, you can have his mirrored sunglasses on and play stun guitar. You can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and still let the freak flag fly. Not be some jive shit, you know? Yeah. Really play it like you mean it. And that's what I was trying to say with that song. Uh, when I say we were fucking corn dogs, I worded it that way on purpose. It can be an adjective, it can be a verb. Mm-hmm. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it should. Be, everything should be nice and neat. You know, you should, you should keep some kind of stuff open. But D. Boone always saying my words with all his heart. If if he wrote words and they rhymed, for sure it was going to go in one of his songs. Yep. But if he wrote words like just some thoughts, like shit from a new notepad, for example, uh-huh. then I was going to get those words. <laughs> yeah, because I would, I would always run out of words for music. Yeah. I wrote a lot of the music for the Minuteman. Not the best, but I wrote a lot of it. And so a lot of the times, uh, Georgie's words, D. Boone's words, they helped me out. 
And, yeah. But in that case, tell your buddy, that's a Mike Watts song. I will. I will. His name's Kevin. Fact, I'll tell him. What was his name? Michael, uh, Michael, uh, God, it starts with an A. Why can't I, uh, our band could he used one of the lines from that song for their name of a book where he talks about some bands from those days. Mm-hmm. Michael, uh, Azerod. Okay. Our band could be your life. Yes. Yeah, he takes yep. a line from that song. Uh, for the title of the book. Yeah. That was very kind of him. Yeah. yeah. That's the band Kevin, or that's the book Kevin was reading when he started managing us. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. He was reading that book, and he, I mean, he was, I mean, that cassette was in that van, and I heard so much. I mean, okay, okay. it was awesome, but. Uh, so it all, it all kind of ties together that. It okay. always does, yeah. Hard to know because you hear Dee Boone singing it, right? Sure. Uh-huh. A lot of these songs. Especially by Double Nickels, I can't because I switch over from pick to fingers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to do the vocal and the bass at the same time. So I asked D Boone to sing a lot of my songs. Sure. And history lesson is part two is one of them. Okay. And that's interesting to know because then those songs, I mean, you want to know the backstory. Yeah. <laughs> you want to know the backstory. Yeah. It's like, so. Uh... Well, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. And this has been an okay. awesome conversation. And, you know, I, I appreciate the time and uh, no and really cherish it. So um, I'm going to check those tour dates. If you're coming through Portland, we should we should meet up and, and chat. But um, I really... Portland, really Maine or Portland, uh, Oregon? Portland, Oregon. Yeah, we, I was just there. Ah, oh, we missed out. <laughs> I was at Mississippi Studio. It was sold out about two weeks ago. Damn. My buddy Ray runs that place. He's he's a, he's the best dude. But uh, Ray was uh, Ray was the, the the gig boss. Yeah, he's the man. He he's awesome. This cat named Boone running the sound. Yep, Boone Howard from Alaska. Yep, Boone Howard. He's a buddy of mine as well. Yeah, cool people. It he all asked, ties together, Mike. Asked for a lot of advice about because he wants to buy a new van. So uh-huh. I talked to him about yeah, Jamini Kano isn't just the cheapest; it's the most bang for buck. If you have to buy it again, it's not the most economical. Yep, that's true. <laughs> okay, Dewey, thanks for having me All aboard, right. brother. Thanks, man. Take care. Hey, big love. All right, guys, that was my conversation with Mr. Mike Watt from the Minutemen, the Stooges, and Big Walnuts Yonder. Definitely check out Mike's solo stuff, and uh, you can find him at Watt from Pedro Show uh, on iTunes, and definitely check out that podcast. It's really great. Um, so we're really stoked to have Mike on. I really appreciate that. Wish him all the best. And I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It was a blast to do. Um, and I love making you guys a show every week. Uh, really brings some joy to me. Um, and I love, you know, getting the feedback from you guys. Uh, peerpleasurepod at gmail.com. If you guys like it, hate it, whatever you want, uh, definitely shoot me an email. Let me know. And uh, like I say, rate and subscribe on iTunes when you do download the show. And uh, hopefully you appreciate it every week. Um, I really like making it. So uh, we are at peerpleasurepodcast.com. Check out the updated show notes uh, for information on the past shows. I'm going to go through and make the rest of the show notes from episode 1 through 22, I think, is where Bob started. So definitely stay tuned for that. We're really glad to have you guys every week. uh, And you guys have been really loyal and and, it means a lot to us. So definitely check that out. Uh, Definitely check out the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, check out jabberjawmedia.com for all the other great shows we have on the network and definitely check out the other shows on adobe radio as well we're here every sunday 
uh, excuse me, every Saturday at 6 p.m. Uh, and that is every week with a new episode. So once again, thanks again to Mike Watt. Thanks to Joe, my new producer. And thank you to Bob and Bobby Katie Show for the show notes. And as usual, we'll see you on the radio. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.